Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, beginning at verse 57. Let us hear God's word. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened. And his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, the people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. May God bless this reading of his holy word, and to him be all praise and honor and glory, now and always. Amen. My father, Earl Johnson, was a teacher and a mathematician and a Farmer's son of a farmer's son who always liked to work with his hands, and he told really bad puns. And in the last few years of his life, he suffered from dementia. So we lost him bit by bit. And I remembered one of the last times I saw my father. I had a a conference out in California, and, and there he was in a group home at that time. So I arranged my travel schedule so on the way after the conference I could go and see him and spend an hour or two with him. And I got to the group home and, and uh, to his room, and he was uh, lying on a bed that's low to the ground. And he recognized me immediately, which was a blessing. And I sat down next to him, and we talked, and I told him all about what was going on in my life, and with Lori and and the girls. And finally, it was time for me to go and catch my plane. So I got up to leave, and my father pulled me close to him. He hugged me, and he wouldn't let me go 
because he started, he wanted to pray for me. He didn't want me to go without a blessing. And that meant the world to me. And it still means the world to me. And our scripture reading this morning is about a father passing on blessing to a son. Which is an important thing to do. But his words, his praise to God and his blessing to his son becomes a blessing for us. Because it talks about how God wants to bless us through Christ. And how God wants to use you and me to bless other people, helping them draw close to Jesus. So it's a great text for us to look at this Sunday, the first Sunday in Advent, as we prepare for the coming of Christ, the coming of Christmas. Uh, the early part of the story is when an angel appears to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and says to him, though he is old and his wife is old, that they're going to have a son and he is going to name the son John and that he will prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah says at that point, really? Now that's the Bruce Johnson paraphrase of the original Greek. But <laughs> And then the angel Gabriel says to Zechariah, I don't have time for this. Again, that's a paraphrase of the original Greek. And just to show you that this is really going to happen, you won't be able to speak until all this takes place. And apparently, as we read the story, not only could he not speak, he could not hear for nine solid months. Then there came the time for the circumcision, and the, they were going to name the child on that, that same day. And they asked, well, what, what name should we give the child? We're going to call him Zachariah, right? And uh, his mother, Elizabeth, says, no, his name is John. They give a t- writing tablet to Zachariah, and he says, and writes on the tablet, his name is John. And immediately... He is able to speak again, and the first thing he says is praise to God. Now, that's not the first thing that would have come to my mind. I would have thought, I'm glad that's over. What was that angel thinking? But no, he speaks praise to God. In fact, his words are one of five different songs or canticles or poems that we have in the Gospel of Luke, these five songs from the major characters in the nativity story where they sing praise to God. The first of those is the most um, uh, famous one, Ave Maria. These all have Latin names after all these years. Uh, That's the song of uh, John the Baptist's mother. And then Mary sings her song. That's the Magnificat. Then we have Zechariah. His song is called the Benedictus because those are the first words of his song in Latin. Benedictus Dominus uh, Deus Israel. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. And then the song, The Angels of Gloria, that we sing with Hark the Herald Angels Sing when we all start singing in Latin together. And then the song of Simeon. Now, I know some of you are looking at the list and thinking, well, what about the shepherds? Don't they get a song? The shepherds should get a song, right? So if you want the shepherds to sing, come a week from today at 4 o'clock and we'll have the um, jingle jam and we'll have all sorts of shepherds singing at that time. But today we're going to focus on this, the song of Zechariah, the Benedictus. And you can think of that as a song with two movements. The first one a little bit longer than the second one. And the first one is about the praise, the praise to God for what God will do in Christ and for us what God has done and is doing and will do through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in that movement, we move from 
the acts of God to the compassion of God and to the values that God wants to instill in you and me. And the second movement is that blessing that he gives to a son. And because of what God will do in and through his son, and by extension what God wants to do in and through your life and mine, as we prepare the way for the Messiah for others, as we prepare to be used of God so that hearts and lives are changed. So we start with the praise, what God will do through Christ. And his first focus is the acts of God, the mighty acts of God. And he uses three words to talk about the mighty acts of God. And the first one is redemption. Redemption is when the value of something is restored. So he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed him. What is redemption? So imagine that you are at an estate sale or a yard sale and you come across a mirror and you think, boy, that would be the perfect mirror on the dressing table back home. And you buy the mirror for two bucks. And you take it home, you look at it, you know, it's all made of glass. That's kind of unusual. It stands up. I wonder what kind of glass that is. And you go and you check on the internet and you find out it was a Tiffany mirror. And it wasn't worth two bucks. It was worth 25,000 bucks. And that actually happened to one lucky shopper. It was always worth that, but people didn't realize it. And then once you realize it, its value is restored. You are valuable to God. You are precious to God. But sometimes we lose sight of that. Being redeemed means our value is restored. We finally get it. The second word that he used for the great acts of God is the word salvation. Salvation is when peril is averted. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And that's an unusual phrase, isn't it? A horn of salvation. What's going on there? Uh, we have this uh, altar from the uh, Old Testament period. This is from the 10th to the 8th century. It's a perfect cube. And then on the top surface, we have not a hemisphere or a quarter sphere, but an eighth sphere in four different places, in four corners there at the top. And they're just wide enough apart so that you could put one hand on one of the four horns and one on the others, as we see in several Bible stories, people that were in danger of being killed would rush to the altar and cling the horns of the altar and there be saved from the manslayer. God has raised up a way for us to be saved from the peril that we face. And the third word that's used here by Zechariah is rescue. And in rescue, usually it involves a rescuer, some hero that comes to our rescue. Uh, my brother Eric was a fire captain, and he would go on a lot of calls to rescue people from the danger of fire. And in the last couple of weeks, we've heard a lot of stories on the news about the U.S. Coast Guard rescuing people that are at sea and in peril. Um, this one was uh, less than two weeks ago off the coast of North Carolina. There was a fishing vessel. It was sinking. Two um, fishermen were on board. And we have a video of this. You can go online and Google this and see this. It's amazing. It's an about two-minute long segment. They get to the boat. It's already swamped with water. They have a line out. Both uh, fishermen catch hold of the line. And then the boat sinks very rapidly. And one of the fishermen holds on the line. He's pulled up right away. The other one lets go over the line or he can't hold on. They have to throw out another line to him. And eventually he's brought in. And they're safe. They're not harmed. Their boat is history, but they're okay. They have been rescued. 
So you'll notice in these mighty acts of God that Zechariah is describing, they are all acts of God that are on our behalf. God acts on our behalf. And I want you to think about your own life story. When has God acted on your behalf? When has God come to your rescue? When has God saved you from danger? When has God seen the value in yourself that you've lost sight of? Our God is a God who saves and redeems and rescues. Then after talking about the mighty acts of God, he begins talking about the compassion of God, the love of God. And again, he uses three different words to describe that. And the first of those is mercy, God's favor, to show mercy to our ancestors. And when Zechariah first said this line, the people around him probably thought of the great saving act in Israel's history, uh, being saved out of slavery in Egypt, being brought uh, to um, a place of safety coming through the parting of the Red Sea and all of that, God showed himself to be a God who saves. God showed mercy to his people. And then that's followed up with a line about to remember his holy covenant, and that word covenant is used. Covenant is God's agreement with us. God redeems, and then having saved the people from slavery, he gave them his law, exemplified um, most succinctly for us, And the Ten Commandments, which we still use as a guide for our life. We're the redeemed people of God, and therefore we want to do the right thing. And God instructs us what the right thing is, how to live our lives. That's God's covenant with us. And then the third word he uses here for God's compassion is oath. The God's pledge to us. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, and that's unexpected. I wasn't expecting Abraham. I was expecting Moses. But he goes back six or seven centuries earlier to talk about Abraham because the covenant with Abraham was a little bit different. Uh, God promises Abraham three things. One, that he would have uh, many descendants, as many as the stars of the sky, as many as the sands of the seashore. And that second, they would have a land to call their own. And third, that through Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all people, as he became to all of us when one of his descendants, Jesus Christ, came into the world for our sakes. We are blessed to be a blessing. So I want you to think about God's love, God's compassion in those sense. If God has blessed you, and we've had time to think about how God has blessed us this Thanksgiving weekend, since God has blessed you and me, how will we bless other people? How will we do it? How will we take the time, this season of Advent, the season of penitence and preparation for the coming of Christmas, how will we bless other people? as an expression, as a sign that we ourselves have been blessed. And then he begins talking about the values of God. And here it's not the words he uses, but the the phrases and and where he's headed with this. What God values should become what we value. The first thing expressed is courage. Courage is lived out virtue. To rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. 
As C.S. Lewis once said, and, and therefore Pastor Steve always reminds us, and I keep on reminding you, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but that form of every virtue at the testing point, at the point of highest reality. To show courage in the face of what you are dealing with today is to express virtue, to live that out. And God wants us to be people of courage. God also calls us to be people of holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. And so Zachariah says to serve him without fear in holiness. Now I know this is not the etymology of this, but this has been helpful for me in, in, in thinking about what does that mean for me to be holy. I think about uh, our daughters on their wedding days. I, I remember our daughter Megan and our son-in-law Johnny, they had written out vows for themselves. And on that day, I remember in what they said and how they said it, that they were all in on this. We are there to make this work. We're going to make a life together. We are wholly in. And they're still wholly in. And God calls you and me to be wholly in. Be 100% dedicated to this life of following Jesus and all that it may mean and all the ways that it will keep on shaping us and shaping our relationships to be holy in that sense, set apart for this new purpose we find in Jesus Christ. Then the third value he expresses here is righteousness, meaning to live upright, to serve him without fear in righteousness before him all our days. So a week from tomorrow, I have the privilege uh, for the 15th year of this program um, and the 15th year of my participation in it to be part of the uh, all-district awards program we do here in Scottsdale for all the five high schools in the Scottsdale Unified School District. We have three of these banquets a year for the fall sports, the winter sports, and the spring sports. All the coaches get together with the athletic director and they say, who's the best student athlete for this position in this sport this year? And then we give uh, plaques to all the kids and we have the coaches uh, lined up talking about uh, their accomplishments and their character. And then at the end of the year, we give uh, a, a big uh, scholarship uh, to a young man and a young woman each year. These were the uh, two winners uh, the, the year before COVID, and we shut down for a while, but we're back into it, and everybody's glad about that. And uh, yeah, we always have somebody come as a speaker. We had Luis Gonzalez come a couple years ago. He comes up to the podium, he shakes my hand and says, hi, I'm Luis, and I'm thinking, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but one of the great things about it is we get to hear about how being on a sports team has shaped the character of these kids. Not only are they, they good in the classroom, they're good academically, they're, they're excelling in, in their particular sports, but they're becoming people of character. They're caring about their teammates. They're caring enough to be an exemplar for the younger teammates and for uh, younger students at their classroom. And it's great because it's, that's what we want. We want not just to do the right thing, but to in how we do it, to be people of character. And God is calling all of us as followers of Christ to be people of character in what we do and how we do it. So as you think about the values of God, the values that God is pouring into us by his Holy Spirit's and his work in our lives, when it comes to values like courage and holiness and righteousness, what growth have you seen in your Christian friends these last few years, since, maybe since COVID started? 
have they changed? How have they been shaped by circumstances and by God's work in their lives? And what changes have you seen in yourself these last three years or these last 10 years if you've been following Jesus that long? How is God shaping you? How are you better today than you were in the past because Jesus is in your heart? So that's about praising God for who God is and what God does. And then the shift comes as Zechariah begins to bless his son. And here the focus is on what God will do in and through him and by extension what God will do in and through our lives. And first God comes so that hearts would be changed. We are interacting with people so that we can prepare them for Christ to eliminate any barriers that they have. And so in in this um, blessing, in this prophecy about his son, Zacharias says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, we read of John the Baptist's ministry. The word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, as it is written in the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Now, believe it or not, you and I have that same charge to prepare the way of the Lord in the hearts of other people. Maybe we have friends who are pretty bitter about past things in their lives. And they need to work through that bitterness first so that they become ready to receive the good news of Jesus. Or maybe you have friends that have intellectual questions. You know, they they can't get over something. And and maybe somebody else could say it, but you're their friend and they trust you. And it needs to come from you to say why you can have a brain and still believe in Jesus. We're called to prepare the way in the hearts of others for the Lord. We're also in their lives to teach them, to share what knowledge we have about godly things, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Uh, That means take the time to tell the stories and the scriptures that are meaningful to us and share them with uh, our kids, our grandkids, kids in our neighborhood, our nieces and nephews, so that they know. You're not, you don't come out of the womb knowing this stuff. Somebody has to teach it to them. We are in that position being able to teach things that are good and right. And then also we are in the lives of other people so that we can give them spiritual direction, give them guidance, to shine on those living in darkness, to guide our feet. We are called to offer spiritual guidance. When somebody starts talking about something spiritually, we can help guide that conversation so they don't get off on some rabbit trail that leads them in a strange place, but back on the path that leads them to Jesus. So when you think about that change of heart, not only our change of heart, but how we can be used by God to help shape and and change the hearts of others, who in your circle of relationships needs to hear about the hope and the purpose and the peace which Christ brings. Who comes to mind? Start praying for that person daily so that you'll be ready when the time and opportunity comes 
where you can be there in their lives, helping to heal and mold and shape their hearts. Not only does Zachariah talk about a change of heart, he really talks about changed lives because of what will happen as the people of God prepare the way for the Lord. We are in people's lives so that they would be enlivened by the light of God, to shine on those living in darkness. There are people today that have no clue in the world that life can be different if they serve the Lord, if, if they are oriented towards praising God in their lives. Um, Thanksgiving meal, we're there at our daughter's house, and our son-in-law says, oh, I'm, let's share what we're thankful for, and he says, I'm thankful that I'm serving the Lord and all I'm learning, which is a big change from five years ago. But God's been in his work, at work in his life, changing his life. And he has a new purpose now as he's made that discovery. We are in the lives of others so that their lives would be illuminated by God's hope. To shine on those living in the shadow of death. This is a tough season for a lot of people. Some are facing their first Christmas without somebody that they cherish. Some people are facing other difficult light circumstances. I know a young man who's going to be fired tomorrow. Nobody here in Arizona, don't panic. Um, but his boss is going to fire him tomorrow and he doesn't know. And it's going to be a tough Christmas for him. We are where we are. We know the people that we know. We're in the lives of our neighbors, our relatives, our friends, so that we can help them find hope when they are on the edge of despair. We can point them to Jesus. And we are part of people's lives so that we can help them to find peace, the peace that only Christ can give us. And these are the final words of Zechariah's song, to guide our feet in the path of peace. Jesus has been our trailblazer, and then his early followers followed in that same way, and we followed in that same way, and we've learned how to do some things. And people that are new to faith don't know how to do the stuff that we already know how to do. They don't know how to pray. They don't know how to accept God's forgiveness. They don't know how to forgive other people and mean it. They don't know how to begin to think about God as you go through an average day. They don't know how if you encounter something difficult, it doesn't mean that God has stopped loving you. But we can teach them those things because we've learned those things, haven't we? They need to know not just precept by precept, they need to know and be taught discipleship life on life. And you and I can do that. And we all have different people we're connected with and we all have that role in their lives if we're ready to receive that. In this broken world, we are called to share God's light and God's hope and God's peace. And we all have different ways to do that. And when you think about your own style, your own personality, are you better at sharing words and stories God's light 
Are you better at uh, uh, befriending people and mentoring them, God's hope? Are you better at comforting and encouraging others, God's peace? How does God want to use you in the lives of people you know? A blessing can be life-changing. And God has placed you where you are so that you can be a blessing to others. People need to know about the peace Christ brings. As in the words of one of our Christmas carols, come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. We need to let people know there is rest in Jesus. He did not come to condemn us, but to save us. May your life be a blessing to others. May all of our words be filled with praise and blessing as we follow the Messiah, Jesus. Let's pray. Holy God, we're so grateful for what you have done and are doing and yet will do through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would work through us this holy season so that as we meet people, as we talk with them, as we have conversations, that we would be able to have the courage to speak about the hope that's within us and that we could bring hope and healing and peace to others and point them to Christ. And Lord, if there's anyone gathered here today or watching online that feels far from you, distant from you, cut off from you, we pray that you would continue to work in their lives, get them to such a place of safety and hope and perspective that they'd be able to look to you and just say yes to all the things you offer us in Jesus. And if this sounds like you, if you would like to say yes to God, but you're not sure how to begin that, I would encourage you to pray silently the words of a simple prayer I'm about to pray now as a way of telling God, yes. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry about the wrong things I've done. Forgive me. Come to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.